we unfortunately live in a world where we prioritize training the body and how we look rather than training the mind and what that can do for us so i always say to people like you know how to go to the gym you know you warm up you stretch you do resistance training you do cardio but what do you do for the mind you know why would you wake up and train your mind for 10 minutes instead of scrolling on tiktok why would you do it if you feel like it's going to open up a can of worms by like starting this or doing this it probably will but if you don't do it now um they will just come back at you again so start now like there's nothing to be afraid of it's just it's just your thoughts and emotions like you can handle that i have a strong belief uh, that we are the creators of our own narratives uh, that we get to take the pen in our hand and we get to write for ourselves the preferred future that we want and this passion and interest led me to maya raichura maya is a ted speaker she's an entrepreneur and she is one of the UK's leading experts in mental fitness and using visualization as a tool to build that. I can't wait for you to hear her insights through the conversation that we had. And so without further ado, I am Don Muller and this is Significance. Well, welcome, Maya. Uh, so great to have you today on the Significance podcast. And thank you so much for making the time. Yeah, of course. It's lovely to be here. I'm very excited. Yeah, I, I've uh, really been looking forward to this conversation. Um, you know, when I came across uh, your TED Talk and, and some of the, the work that you've done, I was like, I've got to have a conversation with Maya. So I'm so glad uh, that we could get the time. Um, I guess if I had to dive straight into it, uh, in thinking about our time today and, um, you know, what it is that I really believe in significance the idea of significance and owning our story i've always kind of felt at times that you know people have called me an optimist uh my friends at school used to tease me as being you know mr Brightside. like i always see the world through rose tinted glasses um but i've had this idea you know that we really are the authors of our own narratives that we get to take the pen in our own hand and we don't have to be defined by what's happened in the past we can really create a better future for ourselves. Now, I guess my first question for you is, am I just a dreamer? Or is that actually possible from a neurological and a practical perspective? Yeah, I mean, straight in. <laughs> I um, Are you just a dreamer? No, I, I wouldn't say so. Obviously, I'm also saying this from personal experience, which I'm sure we'll get into. But I think if we strip it back completely, um, the reason we can be authors of our own kind of stories and shape our future for ourselves is because ultimately it comes down to the meaning we attach to something, but also our attitude, the way we respond to something. So, you know, there's that there's that phrase that life doesn't happen to you it happens for you and I do really agree with that because ultimately you can be in a situation where it may feel like the most awful thing ever but in hindsight it's like oh if this didn't happen then that wouldn't have either and I think it's just this idea that if we can take control of the way we think the way we feel and the way we act that is literally the foundation of how you can play life so if we focus on that then ultimately, yes, you can 
you know, build the future you want and deserve. And there are many different ways to do that. But um, I think we have a choice, right? We have a choice that either, yeah, life's just going to hit us with loads of different things and we have no power over it. Or we get to choose, well, we can attach meaning to it and decide, you know, if we will take it or not. So, no, I wouldn't say you're a dreamer. And even from a neurological point of view, at any point, you know, with experiences. So let's put it this way. An experience in life will literally change your brain, right? That is how our brains always changing. Our bodies are changing, the food we eat, things like that. So when you think of it in a biological and neurological sense, then like if you can take control of the mind and body, you can also change how you live your life and essentially the future you create. So yeah, I don't think you're a dreamer at all. I think that's a very logical and responsible way of seeing it. <laughs> Thanks, Maya. Um, and I mean, the, the reason again, like I said, why I'm so excited to talk to you about this is because when I uh, listen to your um, incredible TED talk, um, and for those of you that are listening or watching and haven't had a chance to to go uh, watch that, I encourage you to. Um, but I guess I saw also someone who wasn't necessarily just dreaming, but someone who had taken ownership of her story um, and, you know, had had written a different outcome, different outcome to what I guess a prognosis might be. Yeah. Um, so if you don't mind, uh, Maya, for those that maybe don't know too much about, you know, your story and how, you know, you took ownership of the outcome that you wanted, which has led you not only to overcome some incredible obstacles, but also, you know, be an incredible entrepreneur, uh, sought after, you know, speaker and expert in the sort of a field of mindfulness and uh, mental fitness. Um, you know, maybe if you don't mind just going back a little bit and, and just telling us a bit about your story um, and how you sort of came across this tool of, of visualization and mental fitness. Um, because I think, sorry, I'm talking a lot here, but uh, from what I got out of it was that you experienced the power of this for yourself. And then you had to, you, you know, you're in a space where you're like, I can't keep this secret to myself. I've got to help people see and show people what is actually possible uh, through a tool like visualization. So long question. Good luck answering that one, Maya. But uh, if you don't mind just sharing a little bit about your journey there. Yeah. So I'll obviously keep quite a long story short, but I'll I'll do the gist of it. Um, I was a very high achieving young girl. Like I did really well at school. Um, I played badminton very competitively. So for England and things like that. And, you know, my future was actually really bright. And, you know, a lot of people used to be like, oh my, like you've got so much potential, like you're gonna go super far. And I loved business. I knew I was, I knew I was gonna be okay. And I was actually really, really excited for my future. Um, and then at 15, um, I was actually diagnosed with ulcerative colitis, which is an irritable bowel disease. Um, it is it is quite common, but it's the severity levels change and it's one of the most painful conditions in the entire world. Like the way it cuts your insides literally and you are, you know, literally like debilitated mentally physically and emotionally because it affects your social life it affects the pain you feel it affects how you can think all of those sort of things and um the symptoms as well are just crippling like crippling 
So this was obviously happening to me when I was quite young. And so very quickly, um, my future was just snatched away from me. That story that I was so excited for um, and I was ready for was just snatched away in a moment. So I had to quit badminton because I physically couldn't be on court. I couldn't go to uni. I was doing like my A-levels in hospital. Like it was such a, such a change that no one can prepare you for, no one. And I think the, the hardest of it all was doctors telling me uh, that unfortunately this will be the rest of your life. So there is no cure. You will just have to be on medication. Some of it works, some of it doesn't. You'll just have to find your own balance. But at 15, 16, it's like your life has barely started. I, I didn't even, I didn't even know myself. I hadn't even like, I know this sounds a bit like lame, but like I hadn't even met a boy yet. Things like that. You just, you're not, yeah, you haven't even started your life. And so before I'd even thought about my future or my story, I was already being told that this is how it will be written. You will need 24 seven care. You'll be in hospital quite a lot. You may not have kids, all of these sort of things. And I, and I believed it because you obviously believe the people in a white lab coat, obviously. <laughs> um, but it wasn't just them, right? Like I'd look on the internet, I'd speak to people with colitis and it was just the same. Like, unfortunately, it's just life. You've got to deal with it. And I was in a situation where I basically needed emergency surgery because my symptoms were so extreme and the medication just wasn't working for me. That I was literally in the operating room and something in me was like, Maya, this is not the rest of your life. Like this can't be the rest of your life. Um, and then when I was still in hospital, this nurse basically asked me, she was like, if you weren't here, what would you be doing? And I actually was really rude to her. I was literally like, can you get out of my room? Because this is what I'm doing. I'm literally in hospital. But when she left, I actually asked myself the question. And genuinely, at that point, I just wanted to move again. I wanted to just walk because I hadn't for so long. I wanted to be able to like see my family again, play with my dog, all these different things um, that normally we take for granted, right? And so in my hospital bed, I would close my eyes and I imagined step-by-step -step walking. I imagined playing with my dog. I literally smelt my mum's food, like all these different things. And slowly but steadily, it gave me just a tiny bit of hope because I was like, maybe there is actually another version of my life that someone hasn't told me yet, but only I can see. Um, and obviously at the time, I didn't really know what I was doing. I was just surviving, but this was what was helping me. So then I kept doing it with my pain. So I was in pain every single day when I woke up. Uh, so I would, too bad, I didn't even sleep because of the pain. So then I would close my eyes and actually show my brain and body a different story. What if the pain was getting better? Um, similarly, like, even though I couldn't run or things like that, I showed my mind that it was possible. And I would just keep doing this and I was gaining a lot of strength, a lot of momentum. And so when I eventually left hospital, I then dedicated my life to learning, well, why did that work? Why did I feel a bit better? And that's when I found out that what I was doing was visualization, which is a technique that basically is where you create images, environments and feelings before they've happened. Now, I wasn't doing some like new thing that no one's heard of. Like if you, any athlete in the world will use it, your rugby players, your football players, Serena Williams, Michael Phelps, 
they swear by it to train when they're, you know, going for matches, for the Olympics, whatever it might be. But none of us guys know actually, no, you can use this for your own health, your own well-being, your own mental fitness. And since that day, I have visualized for the last 10 years, every morning. Um, I'm also on no medication anymore. I'm the healthiest and happiest I have ever been. And I don't say this like it's a magic pill, like it was a journey, you know, it was not linear. But one thing I can confidently say, confidently, is that by showing my mind that there was an alternative and that there was a vision and a goal and a future that I could see, it meant that I could change my beliefs. I could rewire those patterns and those conditionings that you know doctors had told me, that my parents had told me, that even I had believed myself. So through visualizing repetitively, repetitively, I was basically stepping into a story that I actually could create. Um, whereas I think beforehand, I was living a story that others created for me, which is fine, because that's what they're trained to do. But I just didn't want to accept that. And to this day, I am the one shaping how I move forward, whether that's in my business, whether that's in my health, whether that's in my relationships. Um, so yeah, for me, it's visualization that was the catalyst to really transforming my life um, and taking back control mentally, physically, emotionally, all of that. Um, and so now, yeah, I'm on a mission to basically help others do the same. And I, I would say, you know, you don't need a chronic illness to be doing this. You can fe be feeling fabulous, but ultimately your mind dictates how we live our life and it colors how we see and experience life as well. So if we can grasp that and take control of it then you've literally won the game to some extent brilliant um well love your story gets me excited every time um just uh, as you were speaking uh, i was reminded again just how it sounded like you know in that hospital bed if i had to go back to to that part that you were speaking about when you started to actually visualize how things could be better for example seeing your family again for example having some of your you know your delicious uh home-cooked meal that your mom could make for you um did that actually have an impact on your emotions uh, number one and i said and then i guess my question is leading into what is the relationship between our thoughts and our feelings um so it it, it sounds like by having by shifting your thoughts and shifting the story you were telling yourself it also helped you shift an emotional state from feeling like you had lost everything and even though you still in a sense in that moment had lost everything you i think you used the word hope hope seemed to creep in yeah. so it, are our thoughts linked to the emotions that we can choose to be feeling right now today despite our circumstances so you were in the middle of a crisis but yet you were feeling hope so i'm quite interested in that is there a relationship between the two yes it's a really big question i guess i'll start with when i was in hospital so i won't lie to you i couldn't go from being super in pain and very depressed and unhappy to suddenly like ecstatic and so excited that life's amazing it, it doesn't work like that but the cool thing about emotions is you know 
anger is a little bit better than sadness. Hope is a little bit better than anger. But like euphoria and all that is a bit more higher. So there are kind of levels. But I will be honest, at the um at the beginning when I was doing visualizations, I couldn't really tap into the emotion just yet. It was only when I realized that actually how would it make me feel so yes it's what do you want but also how does it make you feel and slowly but steadily even if I had a tiny glimpse of glimpse of hope it was still impactful and that leads me on to your question of like what is the relationship between thinking and feeling and I think this is something that not enough people know about we never learned it this language between the mind the body the emotions is something that we never learn and everyone's is different so it requires experiencing and practicing so there's a couple of things here an emotion can create thousands and thousands of thoughts but emotions our energy in motion. We can't actually think away an emotion. Whereas a lot of people will feel something and just ignore it or run away from it. Or, you know, we drink it away, we sleep it away, whatever it might be. And whilst they are very linked, so your mental patterns have a huge, huge impact on what you feel in your body, you know, how we can control our thoughts, we'll control our emotions. But no one ever talks about the other way as well. That our body will always react before we can even think. It's so quick to do that. Like, why do you get butterflies? Why do we get nervous when, you know, we've probably trained for years and years? And it's because the body is, is quite reactive. But the thing is, we don't listen to it. So let's say you do have this feeling of dread. Here's a good example. A few years ago, I went back into a hospital and my stomach, like, it tightened, it felt sick, even though I was healthy, I was really good. I was actually going back to kind of show my doctor how good I was. But because of the environment I was in, my body was so used to feeling these feelings when I was there normally. So I kind of clocked, I was like, okay, my body remembers, right? Emotions stay in our body for over seven years. So it remembered. And obviously when I had this, thoughts were flying like, oh no, like you're not well again. Oh no, like, you know, your doctor's gonna think you're lying. All of this sort of stuff, I was going, it was going everywhere. And I took that moment to tune in, feel the emotion I was feeling, which is okay. Like it was natural and talk to it. I love talking to my emotions because I'm not thinking them away, but I'm acknowledging them, I'm accepting them. And um, a really great way to understand this is there are three stages of our emotions and thoughts. Emotional awareness, I am angry. Okay, emotional intelligence. I am angry because I had a fight with my mum and yeah, I felt, you know, really horrible after it and blah, blah, blah. Then you've got emotional agility. I am angry at my mum because we had this fight. However, I don't want to stay angry. So what do I need to do to change that? Not gonna lie, I want to go for a run or I need to just feel the emotion. I need to speak to her again. That agility piece is where you can learn how to change your emotion. But so many of us just suppress them. We escape them, we suppress them. We don't actually learn a healthy way to let them go or express them. And that's where the key is. I say most people have emotional awareness intelligence to some extent but the agility we're still really really lacking and again it takes practice but those are the three stages especially how it connects to the mind and body is huge and one thing I will say and I'm careful when I do say this is um when you ignore your emotions they'll always come back always 
And for me, I ignored some very heavy emotions like resentment, jealousy, things like that. And it's 90% of the reason why I have colitis in the first place, because I didn't know any healthy ways to express it. And so your body, you know, basically your body expresses what your mind suppresses. Um, and I learned that in a very hard way. Yeah. Well, thanks. I mean, thanks for that vulnerability too, because I'm smiling and nodding because um, part of my story, as I mentioned earlier, that, uh, you know, my nickname was Mr. Brightside. You know, I love, I love being optimistic, but sometimes it's an escapism tool for me because I don't like negative emotions. So when I faced some very tough things in my life, um, the way I coped was to try and uh, just look on the bright side. Um, and with working with a dear friend of mine, he he told me um, this analogy, and it's almost exactly what you're saying. He is a, a psychologist, but he was saying that um, emotions, bad emotions are almost like a beach ball. Okay? And you can be in the ocean in a pool with the beach ball and you can push it under the water and pretend it doesn't it isn't there but it's almost like the deeper you push it uh, the harder it is going to be to keep it down there and you know almost the deeper you push it the higher it's going to pop up again um and you know to to your point i think it's such an important thing for us to understand in that we don't have to be scared of those emotions but to your point we can also become aware and actually frame them and and i guess respond to them rather than then them defining us um it also sounds like another concept that i've been very interested in and, and that is metacognition um mm. and you know is that sort of similar to what you were speaking about you know from what i understand metacognition being is that we almost become aware of who we are habitually being um so when you feel that emotion of anger in the beginning oftentimes we're just subconscious to it it's just a feeling i have but metacognition is almost saying i am having this feeling i'm not going to deny that that feeling isn't there but i still have a choice as to what i do with this feeling so instead of blaming my mom i go for a run or whatever is is, is that kind of also what you were speaking to there yeah i think emotions can be extremely uncomfortable right and like we do try and avoid them like it's a human thing we don't like who wants to actively feel sad um so yeah I think it comes down to the self-awareness piece that we don't emotions are pretty harmless um they're harmful when we ignore them I think that's the irony here so learning that they can be our friends and actually like now when I cry or feel sad I'm like cool like I'm so alive still like this is amazing um and it's just learning what do your emotions need? And yeah, how can you manage them? I don't really like this word of control because, because it makes it feel them then like it's out of control and th things like that. I feel like that's a little bit too black and white for me because ultimately it's just energy and motion. It has to move through us. You know, yeah, we may have these moments where it feels quite consuming, but I, I'm pretty sure I heard that an emotion will, will come and it's, it stays for 90 seconds. It's then the story that we add to it or the thoughts that we add to it that will then make it stay for so long. And I think that's really fascinating, right? When you think about it, it's just like a rush of energy. We either quickly cry out or we like shout it out a bit and it will slowly go. Or because it's like, oh my God, no, I feel really like annoyed that I'm feeling annoyed. Like the judgment we put on our emotions is just like, <laughs> it 
it's like two daggers, you know, rather than one. Instead of feeling the emotion, we're like suffering because we're feeling it. And I do that. Like I, I, especially when it's more emotions that feel like not acceptable, like anger or jealousy, you know, no one really likes speaking about them. So we judge ourselves a lot for feeling them. Um, but ultimately, like it's come up. Cool. Um, so, yeah, when you talk about metacognition, you know, having that awareness to be like, I do have a choice in this um and I don't need to like run away from it is is yeah powerful but I think it takes time and it takes practice um because as well as we grow up and we're in different situations you'll feel different emotions you know different people are involved uh you as a person change and so like one of my clients the other day she was like oh I'm feeling something I was like what do you mean and she was like I don't know like just like this feeling in my gut she's like it feels so unfamiliar like I don't know what it is and actually for her it was like loads of guilt but she's never felt that before and it's fascinating right because like she was maybe like in her late 40s and she had never felt that type of guilt before so you know at different stages you're gonna um you're gonna be experiencing different things and you raised a really great point about like toxic positivity being happy all the time I do not think is a good idea (laughs) when everyone's like oh no just be happy it's like no that like happiness is an emotion yeah but being happy all the time just means that yeah you're probably not letting other emotions come through um and I don't know if you've seen the Disney film Inside Out uh it's brilliant right it's a great example of they were always trying to push joy 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 and then sadness was like feeling so neglected that it then like has a massive breakdown. Same thing with us. Like, why do we get burnt out? Why do we have these breakdowns? Because we fake it for so long and then it all has to come out somehow. So yeah, it's awareness is so key. Love it. Um, Just coming back to that idea of the stories we tell ourselves. um, Mm. Number one, have you noticed in yourself and the work that you do that we can potentially become stuck in our past? become stuck in those past emotions and past events. Um, And it almost made me think about it too, that going back to the hospital, you know, if you didn't have the awareness that you did, or suppose the years of practice that you've had, you know, maybe you would have got stuck again to the place where you were before. Um, So let me try and frame the question. Firstly, can our past end up becoming our predictable future and secondly is it possible to also romanticize or over dramatize our past because i heard someone say recently that you know, up to 50 percent actually of what we think about that emotion that's attached to an event um, or the event itself is actually false so yeah. some of the time the story we tell ourselves that we attached to in the past isn't actually true um so when it comes to this work of mental fitness and visualization, and what impact can our being stuck in a past or being stuck in an event, if we don't get beyond it, can it actually end up being our predictable future and get in the way of creating that story that we spoke about in the beginning? Yes, a hundred percent. I think we are so good at attaching to our past. Like we're so good at it because it feels familiar, like really familiar. And obviously when you have these experiences, it then does 
change your mind. So you probably will, that is the pathway that you will next take. So very simple example would be, um, let's say when you were young, you met a dog on the street and it was like, you know, barked at you quite loudly um, and you got really scared. And then every time when you next saw a dog, you'd be like, oh yeah, a bit scary. This happened last time. This happened last time. Take it in a different context, relationships. Oh, but yeah, last time this happened with my ex. Yeah, he cheated on me again. This happened last time. Like we tend to then keep reliving our past again and again and again, because they're the patterns, they're the thoughts, they all align really well. Um, and to really push from the past into the future or giving you a different idea of future is difficult. And that's where this, like, you have to do it on a neurological level, not just like a, you know, yeah, I'm looking for something else. No, you actually have to train the mind to show it that we're no longer going to be stuck in the past. And I think for me in hospital, I had a massive fear of the past because I knew how horrible it was. I knew, like, I just didn't think I could survive it. And, and to put it in context, um, I had nine flares. So nine times I'd be back in hospital. And it was like the pattern was just repeating, 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 because I wasn't changing anything. I wasn't changing a thing. My lifestyle, my thoughts, my emotions, nothing. Um, I was just stuck in it. I was so stuck in this spiral. But what I realized in due course was that it was quite addictive. And no one ever talks about that. You get so addicted to those same patterns and that past. Like, it was addictive. And someone asked me once, they were like, well, do you really want to get better? And I was like, well, yeah, obviously. But then it was weird because my body was so addicted to this pattern that, like, technically my actions weren't supporting that. And so you do have to ask these hard questions and be like, yeah, no, this emotion, this pain is addicting. And a really great, great question to ask yourself is, what pain do you enjoy feeling? And it seems a bit of a paradox, but actually like, you know, I sometimes speak to my friends and they're like, they quite enjoy being the victim. They quite enjoy reliving that past again. And so you've really got to ask yourself, like, is it something you want? Do you want to break the cycling? Do you want to actually take control now? And so the past is a funny thing because I think the past can also give you great answers to how you can move on in your future. But um, in some ways, you actually have to grieve it as well. You have to grieve that person. You have to grieve that situation. You have to grieve who you were um, and let it go. You know, I've always struggled with letting it go because I think it sounds so simple, but it's one of the hardest things. Um, but truly, when you say so stuck in your past, it just stops you from living your life. Simple as. Yeah. Um in one of our conversations that we've uh, had before, my you, you were explaining to me too that um, visualization is almost a way that uh, we can install a new program or a new way. So even though the past is real and it can have, so we can get addicted. And sometimes I wonder, is that addiction because our body likes, we, we crave the familiar. So the thought of stepping into something new that I don't know I almost want to default back to the safety of um, being the victim because it's known. Um, and I think something that really stood out to me, you know, in my notes from one of our previous meetings, I've still got it there where you said to me, but you know what, Don, the, the tool of visualization is a way that you can actually install a new program. So it's, 
maybe just expand on that a little bit. Is, is this tool of visualization a way that we can actually program our brains to let go of the addiction to whatever emotion or whatever incident in our past? Yeah, so I think the way I'll describe this is you can go very scientific with this, but I'll keep it like, you know, enough. Um, so your mind basically really struggles to know the difference between what is real and what is imagined. Now, earlier on in this podcast, I mentioned that the way we create pathways in our brain is through experiences, right? Like, you know, that dog barking, we now have a pathway that tells us dogs are scary, stay away. Okay, so that's fine. Now, we obviously can't experience things all the time. So let's say when I was in hospital and I was experiencing a lot of pain, I can't then just completely experience no pain in, in that moment because, well, I'm in pain. However, what visualization can do is because, again, your brain doesn't know the difference, you are showing it with your imagination a new alternative. And what this does is because same similar um, neurons activate, it then creates a neural pathway in your brain showing you that actually you don't have to be in pain or that dogs aren't that scary. Like if you see yourself petting a dog and it's not barking, you've shown your brain that actually this is possible. And so with visualization, you basically have the power to rewire this. Now, a really great way to think about it is if your brain was a city filled with so many different roads, it's got like, you know, motorways, country roads, whatever it is, and you're constantly driving over these. Um, essentially, visualization builds new roads, but can also break down the older ones. And the more you drive over these roads, they become more and more solidified in your brain, right? So like brushing your teeth, we all probably have a very solid road in our mind that tells us, wake up, brush your teeth, it's good for you. Whereas when it comes to those beliefs, like I'm not good enough, or I don't deserve this, or this is going to be the rest of my life, this is my story, you know, I'm a victim here. Those are the ones that, you know, our subconscious will drive over and we sometimes don't realize it. So we have to take that time in a meditative state to train the brain to show it actually, no, I'm sick of driving on this road. I'm going to drive on a road that says I am good enough. I am smart enough. I will achieve this. And that's how you can completely transform the roads in your brain. And you basically level up the coding, you level up the software. And, and I know it sounds like, oh yeah, this sounds kind of like interesting, but I live it in my everyday. My clients live it in their everyday. How else can we level up? How can we you know, update the way we think and, and do things like that? Um, and you know, there's no coincidence that your top athletes do use it because they always need to be improving. You know, they need to perform the best they can mentally and physically. And imagine if you are, you know, you are Michael Phelps standing on the diving board or the box, I don't know, and you're about to do a swim. OK, it's for a gold medal. And you stand there and you say, yeah, I'm just not good enough for this. And like, obviously, you won't win then, whereas they have the belief that it's like, I am going to win no matter what. Right. That's where we need to go. We can take that belief into our everyday life. Same, if you're about to hit a penalty, you know, you're going to stand there and be like, oh my God, I'm going to miss this. Oh no, that goalkeeper's way better than me. Maybe he is, maybe he isn't. But the way you're going to be able to show up your best is by having the belief that I can do this. So yeah, yeah it's yeah. a powerful tool to completely rewire. Fascinating. And I mean, that concept that 
our brain can't actually distinguish between an event being visualized and the event itself. Um, and, you know, speaking about uh, sportsmen, um, I've been watching that uh, Conor McGregor documentary yeah. on Netflix yeah. and, you know, been Googling him a little bit and stuff just because, you know, his story is quite uh, inspiring. But I, I heard him in an interview and his trainer speak about that they actually use a, a tool like visualization yeah, yeah, in his fights. But he was saying things like, almost to the point where he visualizes himself walking down the alleyway into the building. He visualizes the crowd roaring. But then he also, in the interview before the fight, he goes on and he speaks about, he's he's actually visualized blow for blow after viewing the opponent, how he is going to. So now, I mean, sorry, the penny's just dropping as you're speaking. It's almost like he's actually fought that fight hundreds of times before he's exactly. actually stepped into the ring because yeah. in our in our brain am i correct in saying it's not just like a so it's not just a vision it's a, it's almost like the brain thinks the event has already happened is that correct yeah so that's it so um i'll give you like a personal example um you mentioned the ted talk right and a lot of people do say they're like oh like you seem so confident on stage or like it was just supernatural and what all this sort of stuff like 90% of that preparation was all mental and by that i mean i saw what i was going to wear I knew exactly how I wanted to walk on stage. I knew what my hand movements were going to do. I knew who I wanted to look like, look, look at in the audience. I knew my tone of voice. I could literally rehearse the speech in my mind before even doing it. Now, when I went on stage, my mind and body had been there so many times. They had done this speech so many times that I had no nerves. If anything, it was kind of like easy work for it because I'd been there. I'd done it. And um, a really great example of this is, so Phelps does a really good interview on how, um, I don't know if you've heard of it, where he he visualizes his goggles coming off. And so some people can use visualization in a negative way as well, well, where you see the worst happening, but it's like, how do you deal with it? So he saw that his goggles came off and in his mind, he decided how he was going to deal with it. And then actually in the race, in one of the races, it happened. And so normally if something like that were to happen, you'd probably panic, you'd use a lot of energy to de decide, do I just leave them? Do I keep going? Do I put them on? He knew exactly what he needed to do. He didn't even have to think because he'd been in that situation before. So he was absolutely fine and he actually won the race. So yeah, it can be um, a method of building resilience and, you know, I guess, understanding different scenarios that can happen, but it can also be a way to, I guess, give your mind and body the preparation that it needs to just perform at its best. Mm. Um, and that's why it's just so fun. You know, you can use it in business, in your own fitness goals, in your relationships. Uh, recently, I was working with a company and there was a lot of conflict in the founding team. And I just told them, well, the person I was working with, visualize the conversation, the hard conversation that you need to have to the point of like, what do you need to say? Like how many times have we, have we been in a situation where we want to say something, we just don't say it? So see exactly what you need to say, even see them crying or getting angry, see their reaction, how are you going to handle it? And he messaged me the other day being like, it just, the things that I saw that could have happened did, but because I had dealt with it, I was able to be very calm and present. And he was like, it's the best conversation I've had. And I was like, see, a simple thing like that completely changes how you would react in that, in that position. So in a way he practiced. So when time came, he was prepared. Um, you don't need to practice that's the thing I think we always think practice is a physical thing which yes it's still important but 
you know, sometimes you don't have time for it. Like, you know, uh, bobsledding, like, yeah. Ice. yeah, they obviously can't practice all the time because of the, um, the G force, I think it's okay. called. Yes. And so they have to do it in their mind oh. so that they can keep training. And, but no one knows that, right? Everyone thinks they're just always on these like bob sets, but no, they're, they're actually too dangerous for them. So they have to do it in their mind first. I had a very happy childhood moment there where I remembered one of my favorite movies growing up, uh, Cool Runnings. Yeah, um, oh, best movie, isn't it? Yeah, like, and I'm yeah. sure actually now that you mention it, there's like scenes of them sitting in a bathtub and actually practicing yes, the movie. Yes, exactly, yeah. exactly. And have you heard of the piano story, the piano yes, students? Exactly. So, I mean, maybe... I, th I think it's just important for people to hear some of these things. Um, do you mind just giving us a bit of an insight into what, the, if, if you if you feel that you can? Um, yeah. So, so, so the, yeah. yeah, the piano experiment was, um, there have been a couple actually. So the, one of the ones which is quite fascinating was like, um, they actually researched the physiology, physiolo <laughs> physiological change in, in people's fingers as well. Um, so they've done some experiments where they've done like a group of people who are um, basically playing the piano physically, and then a group of people who only do it mentally. And what they found is actually that even the people that were doing it mentally still had the skill set and capability to play physically. So it kind of showed that you like the mental practice is actually just as important as the physical. But they've also showed ones where by doing that and by mentally kind of like rehearsing with your fingers and making it so detailed for you, it actually changed the strength and the weight and the muscular kind of like um, composition of your hands because your body also thinks that it's happening. Um, and recently I've been doing a lot of research into stroke victims because there have been some new like medical journals coming out with um ways of helping stroke victims kind of get their mobility back and their brain um their brain kind of like ability as well and it all comes down to visualization um which is really cool like you're starting to people can start moving their fingers before they are doing it but it's training the mind and body to be like this is normal so then eventually they can actually start doing it so i mean you've built an amazing case here for visualization um Maya. Uh, and I mean, if people like Conor McGregor, um, you know, Michael Phelps, Serena Williams, um, you know, yourself have used this tool to really help them in their performance, um, why aren't more of us doing it? I think there's three things here. One, education. You know, it's just something we don't know. And it's been, I think it's stayed amongst the elite for so long. Um, and that's why I love doing the work I do so I can share it. Two, people confuse it with manifestation. And I will bring this up because manifestation in our world today is this thing that if you just think of it, it happens. I don't believe that. You know, you get that story of um, the guy who like wrote 10 grand on a check and then he just got it. It, it doesn't work like that. Like visualization is grounded in neuroscience yes people can use visualization in manifestation probably why then they do manifest stuff because you're simply training the mind to see those opportunities or to change the mindset right um so there's a there's a distinction there but the last thing i tell you is we unfortunately live in a world where we prioritize training the body and how we look rather than training the mind and 
what that can do for us. So I always say to people like, you know how to go to the gym, you know, you warm up, you stretch, you do resistance training, you do cardio, but what do you do for the mind? And so this last bit of like, you know, why would you wake up and train your mind for 10 minutes instead of scrolling on TikTok? Why would you do it? And actually, if you ask a lot of people, they wouldn't. And so I think this is also the problem is our habits and our behavior change. And slowly and steadily, I think the narrative is changing. We are talking about mental health a bit more, but this idea of mental fitness, so proactively training your mind and not just doing it when you're burnt out or you're really upset or depressed is important. How can we take control from the beginning so we prevent things like that happening? So yeah, I think it's three things, education, you know, the knowledge, the distinction between different things out in the market. And the third is like really the behavior change um, and it, being able to experience it so that you also understand that actually this does make me feel better. Um, so I'd say, you know, that's why probably people aren't doing it enough. They don't know about it. They're not willing to do it. And um, they don't think it's important. So people now know about it or the people listening. Uh, I think we've convinced them that it's important. Um, where do we start, Maya? Like if I'm sitting here, like almost feeling so fired up that I want to change my life and I want to uh, like, you know, I liken it to understanding the benefits I can get from being active. Uh, yeah. I remember when I was looking to change my fitness journey, um, good friend that I was looking to work with, he said to me, you know, Don, why? And he said, and you can't tell me it's because you want a six pack. Okay. It's because yeah. why else do you want to exercise? Why do you see it's important for you? So I guess there, there's a sense around, okay, I can see that mental fitness is good for me, but I almost needed him then to give me a bit of a next step. And it was very simple in the beginning. You know, he kind of just said to me, try and do X, Y, Z. It wasn't overboard, but it, it almost helped me take that first step. So for someone who's almost feeling like, yes, this is sounding good for me, but I don't know what to do next, what advice would you give to someone who is looking to start on working on their, their mental fitness? So I think let's start with a, a more kind of general visualization. I would say sit down somewhere and write down some of your goals, right? So I'd say between around like up to two years, so something that feels challenging, but possible. And so a big thing here is, I want you to do something that you feel excited about. So um, whether it's your fitness goals, whether it's your work goals, whether it might just be going to dinner with some friends, whatever it might be. So that's the first thing, what are your goals? And a lot of people know how to do that. They've probably written it down before. Then it's why. Why does this feel right? And how do you want to feel when you are doing this goal? A lot of the time we always focus on what we want, but how do you want to feel? Is it peaceful? Is it joy? Is it driven? Is it motivated? So then you add your emotion to this and you, you write that down. Then I just want you to close your eyes. Five minutes. That's all I ask for. And I want you to start building that goal and you carrying out this goal in your mind. So let's say you are training for a marathon. I want you to see yourself at that finish line. How do you feel then? I want you to see yourself doing the training. I want you to see yourself enjoying that. Let's say you are wanting a new promotion at work. I want you to see yourself getting the promotion, show yourself that you can do it, but then also what's the work? How do you need to get there? Okay, let's say it's even bigger. Let's say you want to start your own business. 
Why? What's the name of it? What are you wearing? What's the work you're doing? Who do you need to email? Start building these details in your mind and engage the senses to the point of like, when I do this with my clients, I'm literally like, what are you eating? You know, are you having a coffee at your desk? Taste it, see it, feel it, hear it, those conversations. Make it so real for your mind and body. And you will start to just also see this connection between uh where you want to go and finding this direction so just five ten minutes in the morning ideally because that's when your brain is most suggestive and feel excited about it and then take a few deep breaths and open your eyes and take that energy with you for the rest of the day and if you do this repetitively you'll see you'll start building this fire this motivation you know for life and that's just one example of about a thousand ways you can use visualization but i'd say start with that so my i know uh i heard you speak once about and like you said you've been practicing for close to 10 years now um you know this this great tool um, but you are uh, a founder and ceo uh, of your own business um and is it correct in saying that that idea uh, actually came from one of your visualization sessions yeah so um i often use visualization a lot for creativity. So even when it comes to, you know, putting content out or things like that, I'll always close my eyes first and see what I can create with my mind. And it was when I was at uni, um, we were kind of asked, like, if you want to start a business, what would you do it on and all of this sort of stuff. And when I had, I basically was visualizing like, what I wanted to do in my life or what I enjoyed doing. And I always saw myself like hosting or being on stage somewhere. And um, I saw this like one, I guess, image of um, me guiding a visualization. And at first I was like, oh, that's kind of weird. But then it just kind of stuck with me. And every time I kept doing visualizations, I was like, oh, like, I don't know, it was just more and more and it felt really aligned to who I was and it felt exciting. And then I started like researching, well, you know, like is, are people doing this? Like in my head, I thought everyone kind of knew about it. And that's when I realized there was this massive gap. And so um, creating that in my mind and seeing kind of what I wanted to do was like super fun for me. And even since that day, whether it's pitching to investors, whether it is like, um, fair, no one actually knows this, but so, a few months ago, I um, basically was was thinking, right, where, where do I want to go with this? And so when I closed my eyes, I was like, my dream company, Nike. I was like, yeah, I see myself working with them. And I saw this event that we did. And I even saw, before even the event, I saw this like video that I wanted to create with them. I knew the words it said. I knew all of it. And bear in mind, I hadn't even like reached out to them at this point. Then next day, went into Oxford Circus because I was like, I want to I want to feel Nike. Went into their store, kind of like made it more real for myself. And I kept doing it, kept doing it. And, you know, fast forward now, we've worked with them about four times. The videos that I've created with them is exactly the ones I had in my mind. Exactly. I literally did all the creative work, all the storyboarding, all the like preparation in my mind before it even happened. And I know some people might think like, oh yeah, it sounds like a one-off. Genuinely, it's not. All my events, all of them, like it's the same process because I know it works. I save time, I save effort, but it's also, it makes me way more creative. I never would have thought of those things if it wasn't for, you know, taking the time to rest and actually see it 
in my in my kind of subconscious um so yeah i think it's you know it's something i'm going to continue doing for a very long time uh, sorry for the sarcastic question but maybe it isn't sarcastic it's it's just it's a curious question um so was nike not a manifestation so if i visualize this and i sat and did nothing about it yeah of course i can call it that but I did okay, it every brilliant. single day. I was in the I was in the store and I made them listen. I saw opportunities that I normally wouldn't have. I hired the videographer, told them exactly what I needed to do. So if I sat around and just waited for life to you know come to me, then sure, I will say it's that. But visualization with action is where the magic is. That's one of the best uh, differentiators I've heard about the two. So so thank you. Um, and so remap was born um from from your visualizations and um why does remap exist remap has one mission and that is to make mental fitness just as common as physical fitness uh you know for way too long we have neglected that but i think the reason remap exists is because I'm changing how we do it. I'm not just bringing you the next headspace or calm with you know a bit of meditation here and there. I am going in disruptive, I'm going in bold. I'm making training the mind something that people wanna do, you know, that they shout out about. They're like, yeah, I went to go and do this. We all say, yeah, I went on this run or I went to the gym, cool, but did you train your mind? So I want to change how we talk about it and remap is gonna be one of the biggest companies to do this because, or the biggest, I'm gonna say. Um, we're making it physical, we're doing our events. We're also collaborating with these brands that um, is gonna put us on that world stage. And so yeah, fundamentally, it's about impact, it's about community, it's about education, and it's that wow factor. That's why we exist. Amazing, and uh, how do you go about doing that? <laughs> um, you know, I guess this is a little bit of insight into me as an entrepreneur. I have always struggled with entrepreneurship because I feel like it's always about how do you get there quicker, fastest, you know, investment, all of this. I'm building this company day by day. If I get one more person in the community, great. That is a successful day. And it's going to take long. And I know that I'm in for the long game because I want this to be a brand that when people think mental fitness, they think of remap um so how i'm doing that i'm doing it intentionally i am working with brands that i believe really do complement my mission i'm also giving my all when it comes to my events but i think biggest is i'm also still learning um i'm consistently diving more and more deeper into my own practices my own facilitation skills my own you know journey and everything I learn I will share because I'm not someone who knows everything yet yes I've been doing it for 10 years but this is a lifelong journey so I'm going to keep sharing keep spreading you know whatever message it is and keep being honest you know if I also feel like I'm not having a great day I'll say that um so yeah that's I guess how I'm doing it so as as I'm speaking to you, you know, words like fearless, inspiring, um, captivating, you know, would be words that I would use even just to describe this conversation. Uh, but what are you afraid of? Are you scared of anything? Or uh, is um, there anything that's scaring you right now? Um, or that you're finding difficult right now? 
Um, I'd say the one thing, I've done a lot of work on fear, but I think um, there is one thing which I sometimes think about, which is actually a lot of people have the fear of failure, but I think I have the fear of success to some extent, simply because obviously when I mentioned in the beginning of the podcast, when I was young, I was super successful. You know, I was starting incredible careers and people would consider me very successful at that young age and then it was stripped away. And so there is sometimes a bit of a part of me that fears that what if it happens again? What if my body responds in a way that it's like, you know, it doesn't want to do it. There's always that fear. But I think um, it's how we use the fear. So it doesn't consume me. And as soon as it does, that's when I really need to take a step back. But at the moment, yes, I'm scared of things, but I'm glad I am because I'm human. And the main thing is, is feeling the fear and doing it anyway, because if it's going to stop me and something that I really want to do, then I'm not going to listen to it. But if it's saving my life, then I'll listen to it. I think that's part of what makes your work and your insight so inspiring is that you're relatable and authentic. Um, I think far too often, even with social media and stuff, there's this ideal that gets dangled in front of us that is unattainable. Um, but, you know, that's why I ask you the question, because I really for myself and and for people listening to see that you know fear uh negative emotions tough times don't necessarily go away um but you can still live a life full of purpose meaning passion joy like you are in the midst of you know still being human like you said uh so thanks for your vulnerability and thanks for sharing that yeah i actually uh, think that there is this misconception that when you do things like this that like life's challenges don't come at you. That's not true. All that happens is that your ability to deal with life's challenges get better and you're more resilient. You can be more agile. The actual stuff probably doesn't go, you know, life is always going to bring us some things, but um, it's how we know how to deal with it and our attitude towards it is what changes. Um, and it's still a hard process, but you, I guess, get to choose. Do you either let it like, bring you down or you let it um empower you and one thing I will say though is like I recently so I recently injured my spine and um it was horrible it was like really really horrible but you know what I gave myself four or five days to feel shit I was like yeah cry about it like it's not nice it hurts and it's not nice whereas I think a lot of people when they do this work they're like okay I can't I can't feel any bad like I just need to show myself that I'm really strong and show others that you know but no like even as a coach even as a mental fitness expert the right thing for me to do was to feel sorry for myself if, maybe if it lasted three four weeks I would have been like my you need to get up now but I needed those five days to remind myself that actually okay <laughs> it just needed that to feel a bit bad um and then I can move on if uh if we have in a follow-up podcast uh, in two years' time, um, what would we be talking about? Do you know, I think we would actually be talking about very similar things, simply because I think we've only just started the mental fitness conversation. Um, but I would hope that in two years' time, um, I have made more impact. Remap has made more impact. And that there is some serious changes in the narrative of what it means to train the mind. And I hope that... I am telling you some more stories of other people's lives where they have changed their story. 
Um, whilst there are still loads today, I hope that it's like, there's too many to even count. Um, and I'd say on a personal level in two years, I would hope to be telling you that I'm still learning and I'm still investing in myself and my own mind and skills. Maya, I, I feel very humbled and um, privileged that I got to have this conversation with you, not only for myself, because, um, you know, this has been something I'm very passionate about and at times felt like I'm pushing something alone or, you know, a bit lost and not really knowing, you know, who else might be thinking about this stuff. Um, so to find you, to reach out to you, to have these types of conversations, it's very inspiring for me, but I'm also just so excited that, uh, in a small way, um, hopefully this, this podcast gets to spread this message, like you said, this awareness and, and lives can be changed. Um, so I really am grateful for you and your time, but before we wrap up, um, any final thoughts, uh, th th that you would like to share? Um, I would say maybe two things. One is if you feel like it's going to open up a can of worms by like starting this or doing this, it probably will. But if you don't do it now, um, it will just come back at you again. So start now. Like there's nothing to be afraid of. It's just, it's just your thoughts and emotions. Like you can handle that. And the second thing would be keep going. Um, and I wish more people were to tell me that, like, I really wish it did because it was heavy for me to have to keep saying to myself, but understand that no matter what other people are saying or doing or whatever, your belief is hands down the most powerful thing. And if people count yourself out, you count yourself back in. Like you are the one, your opinion, your belief is by far the thing that's going to keep you going. So just invest in that. And um, lastly, uh, something I like to do uh, on these shows is uh, ask you if you have a question for me uh, before we wrap up. So you can put me on the spot. You can uh, pay back for me putting you on the spot. But is there a particular question top of mind for you now that you would like to throw my way? What is part of your personality that you want to change? Part of my personality that I want to change? Um, Hmm. That's a good question. Um, I would say the need to come across inspiring and perfect all the time. Uh, I think a lot of my story has been that uh, people do lean on me to do that for them, even from friends. And, you know, when I was younger, um, you know, growing up and, and now even what I do for a living. Um, I sometimes am not vulnerable with myself and others because yeah. I feel I need to put up uh, certain appearances. Um, so, yeah, that is something that I actually um, consciously try and work on uh, is to try and say, you know, and that's why I was inspired by you when I, when I asked you, what are you scared of now? Is because, you know, if I was posed that question, I would struggle even though I know there are things, it's almost not like natural to to share. So uh, I want to I understand that showing vulnerability actually is a way that you can inspire others more because they've you yeah. know. So um, yeah, 
Does that answer your question? Yeah, absolutely does. Yeah. Thank you. Any advice for me? <laughs> um, date yourself. Oh. That's the best thing. Uh, you're the most vulnerable. You learn the most about yourself. Um, yeah, solo dating, I would say. Solo dating. I like it. Well, we all have to set up part two for solo dating. Uh, <laughs> great, Ma. Well, thank you again so much for your time. Um, really uh, know that you very busy at the moment and have a lot on so we really do appreciate you being here thank you